0: No, thank you, uh, Josh, and thank you to you all for this opportunity. Um, I, I've said this before, I do enjoy the opportunity to preach. I don't particularly enjoy the nerves that come with it, but I do like getting into Scripture. I do like trying to suss out what Scripture's trying to say and try and communicate that to you. So um, it's been my prayer this week, in the last couple of weeks, that I will be able to clearly present to you um, what God wants um, you to hear from me so um, this sermon title um, and the series that we've been going through is 1 John and the sermon title I've got this morning is compelled to to love and I want to ask you a question this morning have you ever ever wondered what compels you to love is it the attractiveness of a spouse is it the personality of a friend maybe it's that newborn baby smell that you smell um, when they're first born What about things that are harder to love, people that are harder to love? What compels you to love them? Why can we love sometimes regardless? I reckon most of us um, know or have known someone who has a dog. Now, this dog continually misbehaves from the age as a puppy. It digs holes, it runs away, um, it chews furniture, and this dog... I've got a name for it, his name's Drover, it's Tristan's dog. (laughs) It's a good dog, Um, but Tristan loves it unconditionally, you know, he's had it from the start, and I actually admire that, and I wonder, like, what compels us to love things that are hard to love? Or maybe, what compels people to love a cat? I don't understand. (laughs) Or take... I'll take me as an example. I love footy. I play footy and I've been going for the Dockers since their um, inception, 1995. I'm loyal, but I ask myself regularly, what compels me to love the Dockers? <laughs> what compels me to love this team, a team that um, gives me so much false hope yet rarely delivers? <laughs> and I, I wrote this sermon um, last week after their loss on the Saturday night, and it broke me. But then watching them last night, I was so excited. So it's that false hope I'm talking about. But why are we compelled to love? Well, I believe it's in our human nature to love, because we're created in the image of God. We receive from creation this ability and this capacity to love others, which comes from God's nature. So why are we compelled to love? Oh, no, I said that. For the Christian and the non-Christian Because we're all made in the image of God, we all have this ability and capacity to love. But it's the love of the Christian that should set us apart. And it makes us look different to the rest of the world. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to speak to you about this love. I briefly told you where this love comes from. It comes from God. But I want to go deeper into Scripture to give you an understanding of what it truly means to be loved by God what it truly means to love others with the love that we have received from Him. So the text this morning, and I'm going to get Bianca to come up and read that for us, is from 1 John 4, verse 7 to 21. So give her a round of applause as she comes up.
1: Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. He has given us of His Spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Also, and, and so we know that rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. <laughs> this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world,
0: Thank you so much, appreciate that. Just softens it up a little bit, you don't have to hear my harsh voice for the whole time. Um, If you are a note taker, here is your start. Now Josh and Bron, I don't know where you guys got your note taking stats from about what happens in heaven, I couldn't find them anywhere. But this message has three points, love defined, love in practice and love over fear. But I think it's important to get a little bit of context around this book of John and the person of John. Um, If you're wondering who wrote it, you guess it, it's John. Um, He was the disciple who Jesus loved, and he actually penned that title himself, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, If Jesus had a best mate, it was John. Um, He was there, he was one of his closest disciples, he was there throughout the whole of Jesus' ministries. Um, Uh, Jesus even entrusted his mother to the care of John when he died. So he was a really special figure in Jesus' life. Um, and he, not only was he a figure in Jesus' life, he was all, an early church leader. He was an apostle and he was instrumental in setting up the early church. So you could look at this book as a bit of a hand-me-down of, of life lessons, of faithful service and life's work of everything that John did and he learnt. And he's given it to the next generation of Christian leaders and even given it to us, which I think is really important to know. So much of this book is about Christian living. It's about remaining faithful. It's about being the light, understanding God, loving others. And John was there when um, Jesus gave his disciples a new message, a new commandment, and that's to love one another which is one of the most important attributes John saw as a Christian. And if you could sum up um, John's life work um, and understanding of God in one statement, I reckon it would be that God is love. And that's one of the most profound statements of the Bible. And I want to define that statement. So let's take a look at this statement, God is love. And if you look at verse 7 in your Bibles, it says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, you've probably heard that verse before, God is love, that that phrase. But have you really ever stopped to meditate over it? Ever stopped to really try to understand what that means? what What implications that has for us? So what does it mean? Before I get to the meaning of that, I think it's helpful to get some context into the word love written here. Um, Throughout scripture, there are four prominent examples of the Greek word love. Now, I am no... um, I can't speak Greek. I've just got this here, so I'm going to butcher this. I apologise. But there are four main um, words for love, and they are storge, which is family love, philio, which is a friendship kind of love, eros, which is a romantic kind of love, now, my seven-year-old daughter used the word love this week, or last week, concerning a boy. <laughs> it stressed me out, and I've like been praying for the last couple of weeks that it's the friendship kind of love, not the romantic kind of love, because I'm just not ready for that. And the last most special kind of love is agape. This is a God kind of love. It's an unconditional love. It's charitable. It's not concerned with the self, but concerned with the love of others. It's a sacrificial love with no expectation in return. The love that John is talking about in this chapter and, in, and throughout the book is agape love. When it says that God is love, it means that love is a part of God's nature. He is the very source of love. We love, we know how to love, because God loves us. When he does loving things, it comes from his nature. It's not a human achievement, it's divine, it is an origin. My Bible commentary says this, which I really think nails it. The statement God is love means more than God is loving, or God sometimes love. It means that he loves not because he finds objects worthy of his love, but because it is in his nature to love. And it's implied here that he loves you. It's not a great example, but I believe the closest thing we can get to this love is when you hold your newborn baby for the first time. Yeah? Um, You don't know what this baby is going to turn out like, you don't know what they're going to be like, you're not going to know what they're going to look like as they get older. But you hold this baby and you have this inherent nature to love it from the very start and it's a really special love, it's unconditional you don't know how hard they're going to be. You don't understand about the pooey nappies, the weight of responsibility and the the sleepless nights. You love that regardless, don't you? (laughs) If you still think that definition is unclear and if you're anything like me, you want an example of God's love, it's like, all right, God, you can say that you love us, but how do you really love us? Well, we have a wonderful example a wonderful example that is charitable, that is unconditional and sacrificial. It's Jesus. Verse 9 in this chapter says, This is how God showed us, showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. In the greatest act of love ever shown throughout history, God knows that we cannot make atonement for the sins of us and the sins of the world. Because there is no amount of sacrifice, no amount of atonement, no amount of cows, no amount of pigeons that can make, us, that can make it well enough. So he does so, so radical, something so loving, he sends his one and only son into the world, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice to be the atonement for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the world, both now and forever. How good is that? So why did he do this? Uh, it's sometimes quite hard to understand what compels a God to do this. If you're a parent, you know that it's out of love that we punish or discipline our kids. Yeah? If we would, let them go on misbehaving without any consequences, they'd probably turn into be like little brats or disrespectful and unkind, and they won't be prepared for the world that's going to meet them when they get older. But it's out of love that we guide them. It's out of love that we guide them out of their behavior and make them accountable for their actions and give them consequences, yeah? yeah? But instead of punishing us, which if you know me well enough, you know I deserve, God does something so radical, so countercultural, so loving, he gives us grace in place of this punishment. God effectively turned his wrath aside at the cross of Jesus. And he sent his son to deal with it so that you and I might have life through him. The reason why God co- John called this love agape love was because this act of love was charitable. It was sacrificial. And it was costly. It was his son, his only son whom he loved that he sent to the cross. And he did that for you, each one of you individually, each one of you personally, because he loves you so much. So let's never lose the wonder of the cross, I think. Let us think on it constantly. It's why we stop and take communion as God commands us to. It's so we remember what, we, what he did to save us and show that it is he that loves us and that he wants to be in a relationship with us. I'm just going to take a drink of water if you don't mind. Um, in a relationship... Let's take mine as an example. Now, I'm gonna, not going to be like Josh and make fun of my wife, because I'm not like that. But let's say if I were to offer my hand to my wife as an act of love, would you be like, Oh, yeah, Chris, you, you love her. That's, that's pretty nice. Well, What about if I were to kiss her in public? Would you say that's an act of love? Now, I don't particularly like kissing in public. <laughs> Chloe does. So you would say, Yeah, Chris... You, you love her. That costs you a little bit of embarrassment. <laughs> what about if I took her out for a date um, one night? We did, got the kids looked after, and I took her out for a date, but maybe I took her to Cobbler's on a Thursday night, and I took advantage of the $12 palmy they have on offer. So if you've you got two palmies, you've got a pint of beer and a lemon-lime bitter, that's about $40. It's not that costly, is it? I mean, it's an act of love, but it didn't cost me much. Now, what about if I had all this money saved up for this new surfboard I was really keen to buy. But instead of spending that money on a surfboard, I went and took my wife away for a weekend. Mm. um, We ate at fancy restaurants, we walked and we talked, we did everything that she loved to do. (laughs) And, And we went shopping the next day and it was beautiful. And I did this not begrudgingly, not caring about the cost at all, but I did this out of love, because I love her. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. I did it out of a heart heart of love, not caring about the cost. Now, this is a really poor analogy, and nothing compares to the love we see from God, but it's slightly the same. It's sacrificial, (laughs) unconditional, and costly. And when we receive this love, it says that we receive life from Him. Now, what does that mean? John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life with Jesus, and this is important to know, is our end game for the Christian. It's what we live for, eternal life in paradise where there is no more pain, no more hurt, no more suffering. And when we have this hope in us, when we have this life in us, the hope of eternal life, there is no fear in judgment. There's no fear in death or the fear that we will lose God's love at all. And I'll speak about that later. But this life that we get and this hope does not just limit us to our eternal destination. Through the cross, we have this new perspective on life. We are supposed to have this new perspective on life. A new ability, a new motivation to love others. To forgive, to testify and bring the hope of Jesus to the world. And this is where I want to get into the meat of the message, the application. There should be a response in us for this life-giving love that God showed us. So number two, love in practice. Listening to Bron last week and Josh the week a couple of weeks before, I couldn't help but get a little bit nervous every time they were picking off the points about loving others. Um, but... Studies show, the same studies that Bron and Josh use for their note-taking stats, I did find them in the end, that it's not until you hear a point three to four times that it actually clicks in. Yeah, so I'm hoping we'll get it. Three times in this chapter, John urges his readers to love one another. Verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Verse 11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to one lo- we ought to love one another. Verse 21, and he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now this is a huge bit of application John was trying to get through to his readers. If we are to love each other, if we are to treat others with the same behavior, with with the same love that we receive from God, that love should overflow into our hearts and our behavior. What's the result? The result is unity amongst believers, unity in the church, peace, kindness, forgiveness, encouragement will flow through all of us. And if that's practice among us, what a testimony that will be to the outside world. We as Christians should love, not that we're all attractive people, and we are all attractive people, but because the love of God has transformed us to make us loving people. It should be in our nature to love, just as it's, it's in God's nature to love. So my question to you this morning, after hearing this command to love one another, quite possibly four weeks in a row if you've been here, has anything changed? Have you found it easier to forgive? Or is it still hard? Is love coming more and more naturally to you? I've always had this picture of me standing before Jesus, I'm not sure whether I've died or if he's come um, to save us. And I'm standing there before Jesus and I'm giving an account for my life. And I believe we'll all have to give an account for our lives. Romans 14 verse 11 says it. And we're we're having a conversation and and he's saying, look Chris, I've entrusted you with so much. I've given you a wife. I've given you a family. Um, You have work. You have health. um, You've had finances. What have you done with this life? And he's also given me commands to love others. And I think about my life, have I loved it? Have I loved others? And I think about the person who I've struggled to love. And I said, oh, but he did this to me. He did that to me. The way he talked to me was so rude. And what he did that day, I just cannot forgive him. And he stops and says, Chris, mate, I've asked you to love. I've loved you. You've done all of this. This is your rap sheet. But I still love you. I still forgave you. I even died on the cross so you can be here right now in heaven with me. All I asked for you was to love others. We as Christians should be motivated more than anybody else to forgive, to love, because we know and understand, we should know and understand, the love and the forgiveness we receive through Jesus. So how do we practically love others? We have opportunities to 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 serve here at church and we hear about it nearly every week to show the love of God to others and to the wider community who probably won't even understand what compels us to love them to love others is just not also limited to the church to the community I believe probably one of the best areas to practice this love and to use this love into your fullness is in your home and I want to give you a few examples to the fathers and mothers I, I really do believe we've got this awesome opportunity and this is what I'm really passionate about is showing love to my kids to show them God's love to your children I think that's really really important for us now this love is unconditional this love teaches them it guides them and encourages them and it builds them up that's the sort of love we want to show to our kids it's not mocking them it's not belittling them it's not berating them or being annoying I mean sometimes it's easy to do but it's something we shouldn't be doing To the husbands and the wives, I thought Bron gave a really good example about the vows that she gave to um, Bron and Aaron to each other, and I thought it was really good. And it's a really good reminder for us to remember the vows, um, husbands and wives, that we said to each other on that day that we got married. To love each other unconditionally, no matter what the cost. To forgive, to love even as we grow old. To the husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for it. And let the love that you have as a couple be on display like really clearly for, the, for, the, for your kids as they watch it because they will imitate that love. And to the children, love your parents. Respect them. Obey them. I mean, by all means, be cheeky. Be wrestle. Tease them about their age and their forgetfulness and their dodgy knees. <laughs> but care for them. Respect them forgive them when they're harsh, thank them and appreciate them for all that they have done for you because they, your parents, mostly out of anybody has sacrificed more for you. And that's just a few examples and I'd love to go on but I just don't have the time. This passage is not all about how we're to treat each other though. The way we love is also a testament to whether or not we are born of God and truly know God. And if we truly know God, we have this confidence Of our final destination which brings me to my last point love over fear and if the band want to come up I'll close with this my last point don't worry it's a fair bit shorter than the first two is love over fear and my question to you is do you know you are loved do you feel loved by God and I want to stress to you that when it says that God loves It means that God loves you so much. It's implied. And because he loves you, you don't have to fear. Verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This idea of fear is is incompatible with love because it has to do with punishment. But God's perfect love assures us that we are saved, not punished. For there will be no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Unfortunately, the truth is, a lot of us grow up with this distorted view of God. A Hollywood view of God. A God that is far away. A God that is angry. A God that is judgy. And I think that's import- it's important to get that out of our thinking. Our God is merciful. Our God is steadfast. He keeps his promises and he will not turn his face away from you. Yet our God does hate sin. Let's not sugarcoat it. He will punish those who don't love him and who do not believe in him. But he does give us an opportunity to believe and love through Jesus Christ our advocate. This love was made visible on the cross. Your relationship should not be dominated, should no longer be dominated by the fear of punishment, by the fear of condemnation. Because your relationship now is driven by love. And if you live in the love of God, there's nothing to fear. It's not like there is this amount of love and that love will run out. God will love you now and forever. The closest example I I find, again, is a father and son relationship. My son Rory is really affectionate and I love him and I love that. And when I open up my arm to him, he comes in and he nestles himself in my arms. But what he doesn't do is flinch, fearing some kind of punishment because he knows that he is loved and that there's no fear in my arms at all. The problem with fear is that it doesn't motivate us. It doesn't motivate someone like love does. Love will cause people and it should be causing us to do things that nothing else will compare us to do, compel us to do. So if love is our motivator, then the Holy Spirit is our activator. If you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I know where to love. You've been telling us this for the last few weeks, but and you've said this a few times. But I'm just finding it hard to love. I'm finding that person really hard to love. People are hard to love. I'm with you. And when I'm preaching this sermon, I'm not just preaching it to you. I'm preaching it to myself. But when we give our life to the Lord, when we believe in Him all our relationships actually don't just improve dramatically by the click of a finger. As we grow in Him, as we read His Word, understand His love, our hearts will slowly change, hey? And that sanctification. We're gradually being made holy by the Spirit. We will love others by the Spirit's power. You don't have to be the source of love. God is. His love comes to you and His love throws, flows through you. You can, so you can love others, so if there's any part which, which you says, I just can't love him, I just can't love her, you can. All you need to do is ask the Holy Spirit to extend the love that God has given you so that you can extend that love to them. Now I know there's a lot to this passage and the idea that God is love and that God is, God is love and that God loves sometimes creates more questions than answers. But my intention here this morning was to get to basics. And it's simple as this. God is love. He loves you like a father. He cares for you. He adores you. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. He showed you this love by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. So church, if you believe this, if you believe that Jesus was sent into this world for the forgiveness of your sins out of love, You can enjoy a relationship with the Father where he sees you clothed white as snow, where he sees you righteous in his eyes, a child loved by its creator. And when we know this, we realize that our lives will be changed for the better. No longer will we be held captive by this fear. We will have the hope of eternal life because he loved us. So come on. Let's see the fruit of that profession. Let us love one another, no matter what the cost, no matter the hurt, love when it is easy, love when it is hard, because it's God who first loved us from the very beginning. Amen. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you um, for your love. I thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. Lord, we are eternally grateful for that. and we profess that. We profess that you are our God that Jesus is Lord and that you have loved us so much, Lord God. So we thank you and we acknowledge you as King. Lord God, guide our lives, guide our hearts as we go throughout our life, throughout our weeks, Lord, that we will love others with the same love that we receive from you, Lord God. And may our love be a light that shines on a hill that is different to anything this world has ever seen, Lord God. So I just want to pray this and thank you in your son's name. Amen.